Well, good morning and welcome to St. David Church of the Nazarene's fourth podcast in the Gospel of Mark. I'm Pastor Bert, and we are still in the first chapter of Mark. And it's not that I have elected to preach a series on the Gospel of Mark. It's just that I found that once I started, I kind of like hanging around in here for a little while. I suppose I could spend the entire year on the Gospel of Mark, as I could on any book of the Bible, but I suspect that we'll move around a bit as we approach Easter and then Pentecost Sunday. So today we're going to read Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. And while you're turning there, I just want you to know that even though you're not here with us this morning, you are loved, you are missed, and we pray for you whenever we meet. And even if you don't go to our church, you need to know that God loves you. He sacrificed his son on the cross so that no matter what you've done, no matter how offensive you think you are to God, you are not beyond the reach of his loving arms. These messages are for you also. Let's read Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Thank you for your word, Jesus. May it minister to every heart within the reach of my voice. As Jesus begins his ministry, he calls his first disciples, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, to follow him and fish for people. Simon and Andrew leave the mending of their nets. James and John leave their father, and all four begin to follow Jesus. Do you sense the urgency in Jesus' call? All four disciples immediately dropped what they were doing and followed Jesus. These are rugged and rough fishermen and apparently successful fishermen, as well judging from the fact that Zebedee, the father of James and John, also has hired servants. What would it take for you to just up and leave your father in a successful business, probably one that you love doing and are good at, and follow someone that has not revealed any particular mission, agenda, plan, or benefit to doing so. Yet these guys immediately left off what they were doing and committed themselves to following someone they only presumed to be a man of God. Now, if I walked into Kroger's grocery store and approached four different men in there and said, follow me, I'm pretty sure that once I got to the exit and looked back, I'd be all alone. There might be four guys staring at me with quizzical looks on their faces, but I'm pretty sure they wouldn't be following me. Or if they did, it wouldn't be because they were committing to be my disciples. It would be because 
they might think they were the beneficiaries of some random reward and they didn't want to find out that they'd missed on the opportunity of a lifetime. They would either view me as a crackpot or an eccentric benefactor, but they wouldn't have viewed me as their master or teacher. They sure wouldn't be giving anything up in order to follow me, and they sure wouldn't be committing to being my disciples. But these roughened fishermen only knew what they were giving up and not what they were getting into. They had no idea. Jesus was just starting his ministry. He had just proclaimed that the kingdom of God was near. He was proclaiming the same message of repentance as John the Baptist. But this time there's an urgency in the announcement. The kingdom of God was near and there was no time to waste. Why did Jesus call this particular foursome? And why did they respond to him? Nothing in the Gospels themselves answers these two questions, yet they respond without hesitation. The call Jesus issues is responded to without hesitation. Why do the fishermen immediately leave their business and follow Jesus? There's no tangible reward. In fact, they'll soon discover they're promised persecution and conflict. It's not even clear that the fishermen respond in faith. They are not said to believe in Jesus or understand his mission. Whatever they understand at this point in the story, they will clearly forget when they scatter when Jesus is crucified. Nothing in verses 16 through 20 tells us why they do what they do, why they leave their nets, their hired workers, their fathers, and their livelihood to follow Jesus. Somehow they are compelled to follow him, a man whom they cannot understand on a journey that will perplex and confuse them to a destination as yet unspecified. The fishermen, now disciples, act in faith not a faith that understands or takes only calculated risk or seeks after reward, but a faith that responds to a call from outside, a call that must remain unclear and even frightening. The journey of faith begins with this step, as does the ministry of Jesus. Responding to Jesus provides the disciples with no answers for their life struggles, but only questions. It provides them with no security, but rather with rejection and even danger. The identity of the one who calls remains concealed and misunderstood even by them. They have no idea who he really is. Nevertheless, they respond and follow him. Come follow me is a call to discipleship, a relationship of loyalty to a master teacher. Even this call to discipleship is 180 out from the typical call to discipleship. The common pattern for discipleship is for students to seek out a Jewish rabbi and attach themselves to a particular teacher to learn the law and pass on the traditions of the fathers. In contrast, Jesus, the teacher, 
seeks out and authoritatively calls particular disciples to himself. He expects their immediate response in full devotion to his person and to the message of the kingdom of God. Now, the first thing I want you to understand about this story is the urgency of the mission. The kingdom of God was at hand. Jesus calls Simon and Andrew to the urgent task of rescuing people from the impending judgment that the coming of the kingdom entails. The urgency demands an immediate response. Here, following the announcement that the kingdom of God is near, Jesus' authoritative call provokes an immediate obedience. Jesus speaks with authority, and the fishermen must recognize something distinctly different in this man. In the case of James and John, something of the price of discipleship is indicated by the breaking of family ties, the leaving of the father's business. The mention of the hired men may imply that Zebedee was a man of wealth. It may also be included to indicate that by leaving their father to follow Jesus, James and John were not leaving him entirely alone to run his fishing business. The Old Testament and Judaism itself strongly affirm the need for children to respect and honor their parents. The main emphasis in this call and in that of Simon and Andrew is the authority of Jesus and the immediate response it provokes. There's no time to waste. The kingdom of God here means the rule of God. The kingdom of God thus represents God's triumph of God's plan of salvation over sin and demonic opposition. Now, the second thing about this call to discipleship was that these men were not just picked at random. Discipleship comes with a cost. Think about the traits that accompanied professional fishermen in those days. Determination, ruggedness, perseverance, and stamina. In the other Gospels, we read that these fishermen would sometimes go out all night and return with their nets empty. These men were not quitters. They had that stick to that marks a person who's committed to getting the job done. Jesus was selecting men that could get the job done, men that the Father had already prepared to be his disciples. These unlearned, rough fishermen were to be the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. Now, the third thing I want you to get is that they were being enrolled in an intense training program under the greatest teacher and mentor of all time. I remember back in my Army days that there was a school for non-commissioned officers that if you qualified for it, you could go for a couple months or so and return as a sergeant without ever having had any experience. When these guys showed up at their command, they were usually put through the ringer by the guys appointed under them. They were referred to as instant NCOs and shake and bake sergeants. They hadn't earned their stripes the hard and traditional way and they experienced a lot of abuse for it. These fishermen were not earning their stripes the easy way. When Jesus was hungry, they were hungry. 
When Jesus had no place to sleep, they had no place to sleep. They came face to face with demonic activity and they failed. They spent time on the mountaintops and they spent time in the valley. But they lived with and were taught by the very Son of God for two and a half years. We are called into the story to follow the calling and duties, the trials and failures of the disciples with a view to drawing lessons for living. Many new Christians and some older ones read these verses and think that salvation implies that we leave our wives and husbands, parents, homes, businesses, and embark on some super spiritual journey to usher in the kingdom of God. They consider themselves failures because they haven't done that. But that's not what's going on here. This is not an initial call to salvation. Jesus had met these four before. These men very likely were following John the Baptist. When John the Baptist was arrested, these men went back to fishing and minding and mending their nets. This was a call to discipleship. Even when the training was over, they received an extraordinary visual and dramatic baptism of the Holy Spirit, which immediately gave them the remembrance of everything they'd been taught. It gave them the boldness to preach in dangerous situations and the power to heal and cast out demons. I'm not saying these things don't happen today. I'm saying their experience was unique and extraordinary. Through 12 men called to be his disciples, the whole world was changed. And lastly, these and eight others would be the beginning of the church. Their mission would be to establish churches and pastors that would help believers in their walk with Christ and to make disciples who would make disciples building the kingdom of God. They would give their lives literally to establish churches all over the known world. Now, as I wrap up this message, Jesus, the proclaimer, has been the proclaimed. He's become the proclaimed. Jesus has proclaimed that the kingdom of God has come near. It's God's kingdom, and Jesus points to God. And Mark, along with the early church, proclaims Jesus as Jesus proclaims God's kingdom. Christians in America have lost their understanding of the significance of the church. They have lost the urgency. Many believe that when they trust in Christ and receive the Holy Spirit, they're now equipped with everything they need to complete their Christian journey on their own. And they fail and become frustrated because they're not seeing the wonderful workings of God in their own lives and in the world around them. And what they don't realize is that not only are they failing God's will and not following God's plan for growth in Christ, but they're practically useless to the kingdom of God. You see, the Holy Spirit works in community. He is at his highest calling when we participate in communion together to remember Christ in his death and look forward to his return. He teaches us and guides us through the leadership of the pastor and encourages and strengthens us through the assembly of like-minded believers in Christ. 
Anyone who tells you they're getting enough Christianity through the TV or through their own efforts is deceived. And they're walking a journey that's contrary to the word of God. That's pride. That's the way I started out. I did not have a mentor. I quit going to the church. I got saved at. Although I didn't give up reading my Bible, my understanding and knowledge was corrupted by my own biases and feelings. And so I became a very knowledgeable backslider. I thought I could become super spiritual on my own. I thought God's will for my life was to isolate myself like a hermit, like the original sect called the Essenes, who lived a life of austerity and isolation because that made them more holy and spiritual. But there was no sharing of love there. God is love. Love is sharing and caring. Brothers and sisters in Christ were meant to share in the love of Christ through prayer, fellowship, and the preaching of the word of God. There's power in unity. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Believers are meant to mature and grow together to become leaders and helpers in the church to help the church reach and teach the lost, the hurting, and the needy. That doesn't help happen with self-taught independent believers living in isolation. Jesus never sent out his disciples out alone. These disciples were going to be taught by the master for two and a half years, 24 hours a day through the experiences and wonders of his ministry. And yet believers think they can be equipped without even assembling together for one hour on a Sunday morning. Folks, I suppose when the church has lost its usefulness for the kingdom, that that is when Christ will return. But think of all those that will be lost when he does return. We need to be about the business of kingdom building. There was an urgency in Christ's call to be disciples then, and there's an urgency in his call to be his disciples now. There's no time to waste. Heavenly Father, forgive us for thinking that this is all about us. Help us to remember the hungry, the lonely, the hurting, and the lost. Help us grow in your word and in your love, not only in our relationship with you, but in our relationship with each other. Teach us to be your disciples and teach us that we may make disciples who will make disciples, for such is the way of your kingdom. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We don't want to be just another church going through the motions. May your Holy Spirit guide us and equip us to build the kingdom of God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.